1: It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you to make better financial decisions in your life. Well, 10 days out from Christmas, a lot of us give holiday tips. We give them out to people in our lives who provide services to us. You know, we've got this whole dilemma we've talked about before who you tip as you're out and about all through the year. Then the question, who and how much during the Christmas season? Well, this is an art, not a science. You do what feels right to you, but people ask for guidelines. In fact, I've gotten uh, texts from two friends over the last week saying, I don't know how much to tip for this, that, or the other. And it is a hard dilemma for us. And again, what you'll hear from me, what you'll see at Clark.com, just my guesstimate. And we're going to talk later about saving money on powering your home, ways to power your home and what actually works and what doesn't in a big way with a potential payback. So tipping is such a difficult dilemma. And everybody out there who touches the money space does some kind of tipping guide during December, just like us. I mean, you can find them all over the place. Even oddly, Fidelity Investments did a tipping guide because it's got a pretty affluent customer base and they list the categories that people might have in their lives, babysitter, dog walker, house cleaner, personal trainer, hairstylist, and they talk about what kind of uh, tip you might give. and uh, One in particular that is one that used to be such a common category to tip your letter carrier to your home. Uh, that's something people don't think about as much, but you're allowed to give a letter carrier 20 bucks or less, uh, no more than 20, but you're allowed to do that at Christmas time. And people uh, used to have a personal relationship with their letter carrier. There's been so much disruption in the Postal Service that most of us don't have a regular letter carrier anymore. But if you do, and they've got your back, they really take care of you, gosh, think about them. They are a worker category that uh, a lot of people thought in the past was a real cushy job. Now letter carriers are way overworked. But as far as suggested amounts... If you have a regular babysitter, the most common amount to tip them, if you're using them all the time, is the equivalent of one week of pay you would normally be paying them through a year. If you use them occasionally, it would be one night's babysitting you might tip them. Pet sitter, pet walker, one session additional, whatever they normally bill you, you would consider tipping them. One additional session worth and these are just suggestions there is no ironclad rule you're over trying to look at the just, list yeah aren't cause you, there's Christa? also like
0: if you have someone who helps clean your house or anything like that same kind of thing one, one session but yeah
1: yeah that's a very common kind of denominator for someone who regularly serves you but not all the time is that if they normally bill you blah 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 dollars then at the christmas season you give them a gift or cash equivalent to that i'm a big believer in cash not gift cards and i know people think cash is crass i've never understood why it has no expiration date it can be used anywhere i love cash i always give the
0: trash collectors cash too and a card and maybe a treat like something we baked
1: do you have regular do you have Mm -hmm. regular people we don't have any regular people that pick up our trash. That's the hard part is so many service providers now that you're contracting with. You don't have regular people coming your way for that.
0: Our guys gave us a holiday card early. So we'd remember their names too, which I love. Okay.
1: That's really They're great. Awesome, yeah. <laughs> so that you'd remember, Oh, we should tip them. I
0: also put out bags for the delivery people that come in the month of December. like, little uh, bags that I get at the dollar store with like just like a snack, a water bottle, and a few things for them to take. And I have a sign that says, take one. And then our ring camera like picks it up. And it's so fun to watch the reactions because they love it.
1: And so the Amazon delivery person, does Mike buy them like a house or something since they're there seven times a day? Well, they
0: all get a bag. <laughs> okay. A gift bag.
1: But anyway, if you're trying to noodle this, You can look at our uh, streamlined guide to holiday tipping. There are, again, many other published guides. You can kind of get a sense about if you just can't figure it out, should I tip this person? How much do I tip them? All that. The guides put out are just that. They are guides. They are guesstimates. They are opinions. And your opinion is absolutely fine and valid. But if you're lost and you don't know, do you tip and how much? using our guide and others, and particularly using more than one guide to get a sense, will really help you make a good decision.
0: All right. We'll go to Jim in Florida's question. I have a variable life insurance policy that I cannot afford the payment on any longer. Is there somebody out there that I can sell that to and receive a cash buyer payout?
1: Okay. So, Jim, you're talking about something referred to as a viatical where you sell... The interest in your policy and they discount heavily to face, and it is a very controversial area of insurance. But what I'd like you to do instead is I'd like you to use there's a nonprofit that has an evaluation service that they will tell you what information is required from you. It's a service of the Consumer Federation of America, and they'll be able to tell you what conversion privilege you have in this variable life insurance policy, that you will not forfeit uh, too much of the value you put into it and still maybe have some amount of life insurance going forward. And it should get you more value out of it than selling it in the open market if, in fact, there is a market for your individual policy. It is, again, the Consumer Federation of America that has its own website for this it's called evaluate life you have to pay them for the evaluation how much is the evaluation these uh, days is it 150
0: i thought it was 100? 100? it is 150 dollars 150 then 100 okay. for
1: each additional if okay so one. it's 150 dollars they tell you at evaluate dot what documentation they need for you to run the eval to tell you the best thing to do with your policy This is very relevant to people with any form of variable universal life, various forms of variable life, or whole life, where you're buying something that's a complicated product, particularly with variable universal life or variable life, that these policies are impossible to understand, and you need uh, impartial, true expertise, and that $150 will be money well-spent For you to be able to make the right decision going forward with that policy, you can no longer afford.
0: All right. Brace yourself for this one. It's from Anita in Kentucky. I want to think that Costco is as great as Clark does, but I really don't see the value for us to pay to potentially save money. As a result, we have been members twice when there was a really good deal. I love going to the clubs. I hate that they do auto renewal. The last time I lost, they wouldn't give it to me, $15 that we had earned on our card because we didn't rejoin. That is wrong, Clark. Please address this.
1: So Costco, Sam's, and their regional competitor, BJ's Wholesale, the trade-off you make paying the membership fee is that over the course of a year, you're buying items at a lower markup than they're going to be in the general marketplace. Costco, in particular, is very public about what their markups are. And the typical item in a Costco caps out at a 14% markup, One for Anything Kirkland Signature caps out at 15% markup. It is the lowest markup in general retailing in the United States that you have at Costco. They do this because they, they run the stores designed to be break-even after they pay for all the buildings and real estate and utilities and employee salary and benefits. All the profit is made from the membership fees. That's their business model is you're paying to be a member of a co-op. Now At any time during a membership year, if it's not working for you, You can get a full refund of that year's membership. Costco can do that because their renewal rate is sky high, like 93% of members or something like that renew each year. I don't know if Sam's or BJ's Wholesale disclose their actual renewal rate percentages, but it's all about being part of this buying co-op that gets you these prices. If it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. And not everybody certainly benefits from being a member of a warehouse club, but if you join one and they have the ability for you to get a refund of your membership, if you're finding you're not going, then do that. And yes, I hate auto renewal. I hate it, hate it, hate it. Any organization.
0: Dan in Washington says, I've heard numerous times on your show that when people add up all of the costs for various streaming services, it becomes just as if not more expensive than the cable bill they paid before cutting the cord. While this is indeed true, I have a suggestion. Why not rotate subscriptions? Watch everything you're interested in on one service and then cancel it and move on to the next. Repeat and rotate. Also, for local TV news, many local stations have apps for smart TV platforms that have local news on On demand demand, as well as live streams of local newscasts and weathercasts. Just thought I'd share this wallet hack with you.
1: Dan, okay, I love the rotation of the streaming services because what do people do with the traditional streaming services? They binge watch particular shows. And they're not watching 15 or 20 different shows. There tends to be one, two, or three shows that they really get into And they watch episode after episode. My wife does this a lot with streaming services. And your idea of seasonal rotation, where you turn them on, turn them off, is a great idea and a phenomenal way to save money. You have to just be willing to do the work to sign up, delete, sign up, delete. And if you are, the reward is a lot of money that stays in your wallet. I love it. Coming up, talk about saving money, what you are being offered that supposedly will save you money on energy for your home, but what really saves you money versus what might save you money. I can predict the future. How about that? That's like a supernatural, superhuman power. Not really. I just know how this is going to play because little more than two weeks from now, we're going to have new tax credits for various energy-saving devices that came out of, I forget what, the oh, Inflation Reduction Act, which was the silliest name ever for this thing that the Congress passed. But anyway, there's all kinds of tax credits and new deals for purchasing electric vehicles, for purchasing heat pumps, for doing solar, Um, I mean, a lot of things geared towards actually reducing energy consumption in the United States. And one of the ones that's going to have a huge push behind it from heating and air conditioning contractors is a new heat pump tax credit that is available to people who make average to a little above average incomes in the United States, those that make Uh, above average incomes in the United States, many will not be eligible as there's an income phase-out that makes you eligible for the credits. My prediction is that we will see a lot of people in the heating and air conditioning business boosting the prices of heat pumps above where they've been before because of the math of the tax credit, and they'll be pocketing some of the net savings, not you, at first. So I would not run out at the beginning of the year and say, wow, there's this new tax credit. I want to grab it because while you're trying to grab it, some of that money is going to be picked out of your pocket by the heating and air conditioning firm, HVAC firm. So I would take my time on doing this transition, see where the price is Also, there's something complicated here. If you right now heat your home with natural gas, even though the heat pumps are incredibly efficient with energy, much more so than what we're used to with how we get energy to our home for heating and cooling. The cost in many places in the country for electricity is so much higher per unit of energy than natural gas for a unit of energy. That even though you will help the environmental equation by using a lot less energy, you may actually net be paying more money out of your wallet. This is not a slam dunk. So this is one you slow walk. You don't run into the heat pump tax credit and say, oh, I got to do this right now because there's this new credit. Uh Uh-uh. Take your time on it the electric vehicles, I'm expecting that the sellers of electric vehicles in the first half of 23 are going to try to scarf up some of that tax credit money you're qualifying for for buying an electric vehicle by boosting the street price, selling price for that electric vehicle. So there's always a big marketing push when the Congress pushes through New tax credits of various kinds, and I would take your time. I would not artificially move up or spend money because a tax credit is being waived in front of you. And also, you gotta make sure you're eligible for that credit, income wise, or some other reason wise, before you make a decision to make a big purchase. Because of the potential tax credit. You know, heat pumps are really expensive. Tax credit's two grand. You're still spending real money for that heat pump. And depending on your home, there may be other things you've got to do with wiring or whatever else for the house to be able to support that heat pump. As far as solar panels, solar panels can save you substantial amount of money. But they cost a lot of money to install, and yeah, you got great tax credits on solar panels, but the industry has had a lot of fly-by-night players in it. You've got to also here be deliberate, take your time, get multiple quotes, and stay away from anything that involves leasing a system or involves you in long-term financing for that solar power. Krista, you and your husband, Mike, for three years, have been noodling getting solar panels. Is it three years?
0: A year and a a a half, yeah.
1: A year and a half. And you haven't pulled the trigger because it is such a complicated purchase. Yeah. And you've had trouble knowing who to trust. It's
0: true. We do have a heat pump, actually. And we are installing a whole house generator, too, natural gas. So,
1: So, you know, you and I talked about that, and we talked about... Instead of doing the generator, doing solar with backup batteries, Mm -hmm. in your situation, it was cost prohibitive to do that as an option.
0: And we couldn't really get the backup, you know, the amount of backup we would want more than a day or two to power the house, so... This is from Fernando in Connecticut. Clark, I have solar panels on my house. I've had them for about three years, and I have had nothing but problems. Right now, my panels are not working for a month, and they tell me that they're waiting for a part in the year 2022, not 1940. The problem is that I pay $140 a month plus the power company for the power that the panels are not producing and it just doesn't make sense to me. I was paying $140 with no panels two years ago, and they took three months to fix the panels when I had a problem. I'm looking for advice on how to fix this problem. I would like to get them off of my roof because they are nothing but trouble.
1: So, Fernando, I don't know if you're in some kind of lease or you finance through the solar installation company. This dovetails exactly what I was just talking about, about how the industry has a lot of very unreliable and some dishonest or crooked players in it. It is one that has not matured yet. And This you're not the first person we've heard from who's paying for solar panels, who's getting no power from them mm-hmm. at all. And I have a least bad option here. And I've thought about this from prior complaints we've had from people that they can't get the repairs done to get their solar up and working again. And I know this is weird, but I think it's a good idea to contact another solar company to see if they have the part that supposedly is missing or broken. And if you could, I know it's crazy for you to spend money with somebody else to repair the system, But you're just bleeding money right now and you don't know when the bleed is going to stop with an unreliable solar company that you have right now. And so you're a sitting duck. I think it makes sense to see if another company could get you up and running since you're just paying this money for no benefit right now. And it is...
0: Maybe call a local TV station too, see if they want to do a story. I like that idea.
1: I like that idea, you know. The um, the troubleshooter kind of people, the TV stations, love you handing them a ready-made story. And I love solar, okay? And I don't like having to put seeds of doubt in your mind about installing solar, but the industry has not become a reliable industry with a lot of the players in it. And I got to lay that out for you Rather than telling you it's all like wonderful and, you know, flowers and candy and all that, it's not. It is an industry that has a lot of rough patches in it. And I got to make sure you know that and you do as best you can, as much research as possible before you install solar, even if it slows you down from doing something that ultimately could be great for your wallet.
0: Kent in Indiana says, I have 50 acres of ground that I lease to a local farmer. I've been approached by a solar company to lease the ground for 10 times the amount I lease to the farm. What would you do if you're in my situation? I will upset a couple of people because they will have to look at it. The amount of money is life changing. Also, would property tax assess the value change since it's no longer farmland?
1: So this is a great question. And Kent, that will depend on the Uh, property tax laws in Indiana, how it would be treated. But there is a, a double solution that is now being offered more in the marketplace where you don't reduce available farmland with a new method of installing solar panels in farmers' fields where it can be dual purpose. The crops can continue to be grown and the solar panels are doing their job And the way it's done in simplest form is the solar panels are extended higher, cantilevered higher off the ground, which allows the farmland to still be used to produce crops. And I think it will become, uh, right now, it's just kind of like a, a side part of taking farmer's land and turning it into very profitable solar property. But I think it will be common and may actually end up being required in farm states by their legislatures, that the land continue to be able to be used for farmland. But there's no way economically, Kent, you could turn your back on being able to turn that land into 10 times the revenue, even if you did have to pay higher taxes for the property. Almost certainly, it would still be far more profitable for you. And this is a challenge because we don't want to lose all this farmland And that's why I think the real answer is dual use of that land.
0: John in California says, we are planning to move to France next year, but the biggest question, sell the house now or rent it out. If we decide to come back, we couldn't afford to live here. We do not need the cash from a sale, though not selling would preclude us from buying real estate in France as we would have to pay cash. However, French property is far more reasonable and we could realistically rent a decent place for $1,000 a month or less or buy for $150,000. We could rent our house with a small positive cash flow, but being a long distance owner concerns me. Another challenge, capital gains taxes. We'd be exempt in the USA, assuming we sold within three years of moving, but once resident uh, resident in France, we would be liable for 34% offset of any US taxes. How about sell now, buy for cash somewhere else in the US, and avoid the CGT in the US and France? Rent that out with a bigger monthly cash flow plus a higher basis to offset future gains as well as retaining a place in the U.S. John? Very complicated.
1: Yeah. Okay. Whenever you're dealing with uh, dual country tax, and we talked about this before about people who live in Canada but are U.S. citizens or vice versa. We're talking about France and the U.S. here. There are specialist CPAs who do tax tax for Americans living in foreign countries, and you would be remiss to just go with whatever I would say on this. You want to find an international tax specialist. They bill a higher rate per hour, but the money we're talking about makes it worth it because you start talking about uh, being dual taxed and what kind of tax France would impose, which is a very uh, traditionally high-tax nation, you want that CPA with that expertise. You don't want a CPA who does tax, who reads in journals. You want somebody who this is their area of specialization, is taxation for American citizens living in a foreign country. At the core of what you said, though, selling the property you have in the U.S., and taking the, the gain off the table as a tax-free gain for the first $500,000 for a married couple, and then if you wanted to own a property in the United States and live in France, that would be, just from the face of it, a better tax strategy, obviously, than having the embedded gain that becomes taxable. Here's the thing, though. It is very hard to own remote investment property particularly a rental property and uh, maybe the ultimate answer for ease in your life is to take those proceeds tax-free and not own property at this point in the united states but as far as the whole tax angle if you do want to own it or another property please and you're in California. You will find CPAs that are expert in multi-country tax situations, and that's who you got to have for this circumstance. And I hope that there's something you heard in today's podcast that you can put to work in your life. And for more information around the clock, we are full service here on the Clark Podcast. Go to Clark.com for information on Things to Protect Your Wallet and ClarkDeals.com for the best deals in the remaining shopping days as we head into Christmas. Have a great day.